Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4030 of The Bugle, the universe's leading and only audio newspaper for a world almost narcissistically obsessed with its own visuality. This is the show for the week beginning Monday, the 29th of May, 2017. I am Andy Zaltzman. Comedian, non-functioning acrobats, and demeritus professor of factuality from the University of Bilge. Live from the emerging continent of Britain in London, the uh, formerly known in ancient times as Londinium, before it was shortened to just the first two syllables because no one could ever get to the fourth syllable, um, without whomever they were talking to saying, get the f*** on with it, I'm f***ing busy. Uh, it's another two-guest bugle, buglers. Firstly, on Bugle Debut, Almost 500 years since his appearance on the Bugle was first leaked or foretold, whichever way you see it, by the 16th century soothsaying sensation, Mike Nostradamus, the Frenchy foreteller, the Provençal prognosticator himself, who wrote, The present time, together with the past, shall be judged by a great jovialist. It points to one thing and one thing only, a great jovialist, one of Britain's finest comedians, who will judge the present time, i.e. appear on the Bugle, the <laughs> ultimate judge of the happenings and mores of the con contemporary world and who will also judge the past so it has to be someone who has also presented history shows on TV <laughs> and written a history book so this is no surprise to anyone who's been tracking that prophecy since Big Noza cranked out the cryptic and prophesied the shit out of it way back in the 16th century it's uh, my old host from the bitter rival radio show Seven Day Saturday and Seven Day Sunday they could never quite get on at the same time it's Al Murray hello Andy hello Al <laughs> lovely to have you on the show. that Google. is the f I and mean, I've, I've been introduced before to things <laughs> But never such length and uh, yeah, it did get a bit out of control. <laughs> it's really very special. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, that's basically most of the show done already. <laughs> no, anything to eat into my contribution. I'm happy with that. <laughs> uh, and rejoining the bugle once again, putting me not here into northern hemisphere uh, because she's very much on the other side of the equator. 10,509 miles away from this studio if you're going a dead straight line, which, if you're going by foot, is not advisable. Down the line from Australia, it's Alice Fraser. Hello, Alice. Hello, 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 Andy. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Lovely to have you back on the uh, on the bugle, uh, albeit that, I mean, the, last, the previous times we've recorded, you have been, you know, feet away from me rather than 10,500 miles. So, um, but it's, it's, it doesn't feel any different. <laughs> it doesn't. No, that, I, that says a lot for what it's like being in a room with you, Andy. <laughs> Zing. You've been on this show for two minutes. <laughs> this is, uh, we're recording on Friday the 26th of May, uh, exactly 200 years to the minute since 17 AD. And uh, Germanicus, the Roman army general and Julio-Claudian dynasty celeb, father of the notorious emperor Caligula, returned in triumph to Rome after some victories over German tribes, including the Brookteri, the Cheruski, and the Chatti. Um, gen genuine tribe, defeated convincingly by the crack Roman legions. The Chatti, in their characteristic Chatti style, just really sat around having a good old natter about stuff of no particular relevance, gossiping about the invading Romans and their clever catapults and stuff, exchanging cooking tips and dating advice, and telling each other uh, about what funny things their children had said, and having a good chinwag about football on the pop charts while the Romans eavesdropped from under their shields in their tortoise formation, before savagely attacking the chatty, who went down bravely, if verbosely, prattling on about how smart the Romans looked in their lovely uniforms and how shiny their spears were. The Romans found themselves drawn into a conversation by the chatty, but after a nice cup of tea and a catch-up, silenced their adversaries with brutal military might, even as they were being complimented 
on how efficient they were as a cohesive military killing machine. Germanicus and his legions were unused to such loquacious opponents, especially after their tough winter campaigns against such tribes as the Grumpy in the Northern Alps, the Sulky in what is now Bavaria, and of course the Solitary, the most antisocial of uh, all tribes, uh, albeit one whose military tactic of refusing any assistance and defending their own individual hut with a pitchfork and some fruity language uh, was of limited use against a well-equipped army of thousands. Germanicus, of course, returned in triumph to Rome with captives from his campaign, some of which he gave uh, to his little lad Caligula as a present. Might have shaped the lad's uh, psyche a bit on reflection uh, as he was given chieftains from the conquered tribes, the horny, the kinky and the depravity. <laughs> <laughs> bit of history for you, Al. Um, you love I, your history, I, don't you? Well, yeah, the thing is we don't really know much about back then, so you can <laughs> say all this and no one can really argue with it. That's right. There's much more missing them with, than the stuff we know, so fill your boots <laughs> or your sandals uh, on this occasion. <laughs> can you fill a sandal? Well, surely there's there's physical issues with that, aren't there? When philosophy you... hasn't got around to that yet. Right. The question of whether you can fill a sandal or not. <laughs> Matter of time, Al. Uh, in 1938, on this day, the uh, uh, the House Un-American Activities Committee began its first session, uh, mostly focused on cricket, snooker and drinks in receptacles smaller than half a litre. Um, and today is National Paper Aeroplane Day in the States. So happy Paper Aeroplane Day to all our American listeners. Funny, isn't it, how metal, despite being heavier than paper, has ended up being used for making aeroplanes. It's one of the great ironies that of is life. A, well, that is an actual mystery. Yeah. And uh, Alice... I don't. It's National Sorry Day in Australia. Uh, are you aware yes, of this? Yes, it is. Yes. I mean, has everyone been going around apologising for appalling historical crimes, which is what it was? Well, everyone looks a little bit sheepish. Right. Okay. Is that as far as it goes? I mean, it's it's literally the least we can do for <laughs> you know hundreds of years of uh, of massacres and various oppressions, but it uh, seems also to be the most we can do, <laughs> or the most we have done. Yeah, but sometimes less is more. <laughs> Maybe not in, in this, this case. Instance, I think less is uh, very, very much less. <laughs> and uh, well, it's the week, uh, the bugle for the week beginning the 29th of May, and that means it's uh, happy hundredth birthday to John F. Kennedy, born on May the 29th, 1917, supposedly the son of Joseph P. Kennedy and Rose Kennedy. Although I reckon the CIA gave birth to him secretly, or uh, or the mafia, maybe some shady Cuban surrogate. Well, he's the youngest couple. man that ever lived. You know that. <laughs> the youngest man ever to be born. Right. That's an amazing. Yeah, yeah it's incredible. Yes, so much, so many. I reckon yeah. that maybe he was Russian. Yeah, probably. I don't know. It definitely wasn't his parents. Just what too, you say, too convenient. Yevkia in a Russian accent. <laughs> it's that makes it believable. Right. You say anything in a Russian actor yeah. that makes it believable these days. <laughs> yes, that's the problem. Yeah. That's basically it. <laughs> Big Putin. That's the lobby at work. <laughs> Duh. As uh, there we go. Uh, yeah, that's a point <laughs> point proved. <laughs> uh, as always, this section of the bugle is going straight in the bin this week. Summer fashion, and we look at all the definite no-nos uh, for this uh, this summer's fashions. Uh, obviously, I'm right at the cutting edge of uh, of couture uh, and and clothing trends. We look at the whale skin balaclava. Uh, wrong on so many levels. Uh, anaconda leggings, make sure they're dead first. Uh, that's also anaconda leggings, the clothing item made of, uh, of a massive snake. Not the cornerback just signed for the new NFL franchise, the Portland, <laughs> the Portland Punks. Um, their distinctive Mohican-style helmets could be very useful in the NFL uh, season. We look at the breeze frock. Uh, breeze block dresses, of course, all the rage as brutalist Soviet architecture gets a catwalk makeover. But they are at best impractical. Uh, other, other architectural fashion items uh, coming out this summer. The brickini. 
Uh, ditto. Uh, just make sure you use a good quality cement. Uh, also, the uh, zucchini. Uh, that's a, just courgettes. Just don't have quite the width as a vegetable to make the zucchini anything other than intimidatingly revealing. And we look at other beachwear, including bread muda shorts, which might be okay on the trendy high fashion catwalks of Milan, Los Angeles, Tashkent, and Croydon. But you wear a, a, a bread muda shorts to the beach. And you are one hungry seagull away from a very socially awkward situation. That section <laughs> in the bin. Al, I mean, this is your this is your bugle debut, and I've, I think I've managed to break you with, before we've even got to the first actual story. Y- yes, you have. Right. Yeah, but it's I, a personal I, triumph. Well, I mean. no, this is good because this is this is very enjoyable because the boots on the other foot. When we when we used to do Seven Day Sunday, I'd do the rambling monologue, <laughs> half written thing. <laughs> half written. Thank you. That's, uh, that's <laughs> and, I uh, guess at least three times written. <laughs> thanks, thanks for so rounding nice that to, up. It's nice to be on the receiving end. So, uh, yeah, you've broken me already. Yeah, bread muda shorts. Very um, bad for the gluten intolerant. Yeah, yes, yes. Sorry, um, I do apologise to any passing celiac. Yeah, performing celiac. <laughs> hey, but it's passing I don't know celiac. if you can have celiac testicles. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting into a lot of can you fill a sandal and can you have celiac testicles? Right sure. in the bread s- basket. I suppose it depends who the testicles are attached to. I guess, I guess, I mean, that's so often the case, isn't it? <laughs> With testicles. <laughs> I mean, that's for, <laughs> I mean, or at the very least who they used to be attached to. Um, yeah. Surely in bread muda shorts, your glutes look great. <laughs> very oh. good. Thank you, Chris. Oh, Here very good. Chris when the producers are bringing puns to the show, we know we've, we're <laughs> reaching a very high peak of artistic achievement. Time to bring your attention to a special Radiotopia-wide project welcoming a new show into the Radiotopia family. The Ear Hustle podcast, coming soon, features stories of life in prison told and produced by those living it at San Quentin State Prison. In support of Ear Hustle, all Radiotopia shows are releasing an episode in response to the theme Doing Time. Check out radiotopia.fm to find all of the Doing Time episodes in one place. Or listen to some old Johnny Cash records. Your call. Have you ever done time, Andy? Done time? No. No. My wife spent quite a bit of time in the slammer, but that was as a... (laughs) (laughs) As a lawyer. (laughs) Uh, Before we get started on the show, uh, this has been in Britain another week in which terrorists have inflicted utterly pointless tragedy uh, on the innocent. It's been another horrifically depressing week. Uh, It was an act which, even within the moral compass of terrorism, a compass which points unerringly and unremittingly towards total f***ery, was uh, utterly horrific. Um, The response, as the response always is, dignified, defiant and heartbroken, the response of politicians, the you know the same old "we will not let the terrorists win." I'm not sure this is even defiant, saying we will not let the terrorists win. I think it's just basic logistics. Because if you look at the latest opinion polls um, that have come out, there was a lot, of, a lot of opinion polls around the time of the election. Terrorism in general, uh, the latest opinion poll, 0.00 percent approval rating, rounding it down to the nearest one hundredth of a percent. ISIS also no real upward bounce at 0.00 percent, uh, even under proportional representation. They would need a parliament with, what, hundreds of thousands of seats in it to even have a chance of getting in, and even then no one's going to work, want to work in coalition with them. Um, Donald Trump described them as losers, mm. uh, which suggests that he was listening to the bugle. I think we called them the same thing just a few weeks ago. Is this the, is this the first time he's had a point? 
Trump. Yeah, but the, I think one of the problems is he's called everyone else losers. He's called absolutely <laughs> everyone else losers. So it... It, it I mean, loses it, the currency. It, it, it does somewhat undermine... I mean, I, I actually thought it was quite odd, that speech, the Trump speech, because I sort of thought, yeah, I kind of generally agree with most of that. Right. Uh, it's hard not to... Hard not you hard to disagree with it. But the fact that the currency is used, is used losers so much. I mean, everyone's a loser in his, his book. It just, you sort of think, well, all right. And also, you, what I really want on occasions like that is sort of is some rhetoric. Right. And di- dignity. <laughs> dignity, rhetoric, stuff yes. like that. You know, understatement, even understatement. You know what I mean? Yeah. We know, we don't need telling. Uh, um, so I don't know. Not everyone has responded with tolerance and dignity. Some of our so-called newspaper columnists have um, been rather scraping the bottom of whatever barrel they currently live in. And what I do worry is reacting to intolerance with intolerance, because this is not like mathematics. A negative times a negative does not equal a positive. (laughs) Intolerance times intolerance is just exponential intolerance. I do wish we'd... uh, Certain people would grow up a bit in the wake of these... uh, uh, horrifying atrocities, Alice. Um, there, speaking s- of which, speaking of which, there was uh, certain columns in Australia as well that took, well, a kind of almost jauntily dickish response to this uh, to this story. Yes, uh, in no low too low news, Australian literary magazine editor Roger Franklin decided he was going to leverage the appalling tragedy into a petty political vendetta against Q&A, which is a Monday night light political debate program that airs on the ABC. So he wrote an opinion piece saying that had there been a shred of justice, the Manchester blast would have detonated in an Ultimo TV studio. Uh, because he wanted to punish the ABC for refusing to acknowledge the true causes of terrorism. And uh, I don't know, I contend that had there been a shred of justice, Franklin would have been sideswiped by a terrible case of colon evacuation, and the time he spent in the toilet pooping out his dreams would have been just long enough to make him think twice. You know, maybe he'd think between spurts of hot rectal regret, oh, you know what's not actually cool? Trivialising the murder of children by co-opting the weight of their senseless deaths to add force to a metaphor in a minor literary spat. And then he would have wiped his bottom and not suggested that lefties and moderate Muslims being on television should have been the rightful target of an incredibly wrongful attack. I don't know. <laughs> well, so Alex, the, so uh, the shred of justice is doing a lot of work there for him, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, Alex, yeah, you, can, I mean, it's... You, can be reli- you can be reliably relied upon to uh, bring some spectacular bodily analogies to <laughs> basically your it's generally your pretty much your first full sentence on each bugle you've been on has uh, rocketed right into the top five of uh, most uh, well crudest things ever said on this show well, i'm sorry i'm thought as, as very well spoken in australia oh no absolutely <laughs> the two are not mutually exclusive <laughs> unquestionably i just think his his dig is the equivalent of responding to a bad history report card by suggesting that if there were any justice miss o'brien would have been burned to death as a witch in salem it's just completely disproportionate <laughs> And the Quadrant editor, so this is the magazine it was published in, he's a prominent historian, Keith Winshuttle. He's a former ABC board member and author of the charming 2002 book, The Fabrication of Aboriginal History. Uh, He told Fairfax Media when they asked for comment, you're talking bullshit, don't call back, which is simultaneously a most charmingly Australian and insanely douchey way to respond to a call for comment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, political campaigning has been suspended for most of this week um, in the aftermath of what happened in Manchester. Uh, so we've decided to take a quick trip round some stories from around the world that might not have hit the global headlines, beginning with this. 
Top story this week. Isle of Man horse tram service resumes. That, Al, sounds like a cryptic crossword clue. No, it's... it's is a, it an actual fact? This is an actual news story. So the news is that the Isle of Man, well-known offshore tax area and motorbike holiday resort, has restored <laughs> its horse taxi service. Now, that headline might in, in itself make you think, huh? They're heading back to the 50s before May wins the election. But no, actually, <laughs> it's due to a temporary hiatus and the normal horse tram service is being resumed. Right. So it's not that they've brought back a tram service. It's that they've, they've, they've had to stop the horse tram service while the horses, because the horses have been poorly. <laughs> Apparently, the service was suspended because the horse was suffering a respiratory problem. Now, the way this story was written suggests why. The 140-year-old bay horse. Um, well, that's, that's, that's it right there. Give the horse a break. I mean, I got puffed out coming down the stairs to the studio, and I'm 49. That horse is dragging tourists around, so he must be puffed. Now, I think this might be a thin end of the wedge, planet of the horses warning sign. <laughs> important that the revolution, the uprising has begun. Horses have had to put up with our bullshit since the dawn of time. And of all places, for this uprising to begin, for symbolism to really kick in, the Isle of Man, where the horse revolution begins, ponies and horses, donkeys joining together too, the three the, the three species of horse, I think that's the three species of horse, isn't it? Right. Pony, yeah. donkey and horse. Yeah. Uh, and rocking. Sh- rocking. Wait, rocking. wait, wait. Rock- what about zebra? Rocking. Zeb- I know there's, well, no, that's the forthcoming horse zebra war that will o- occupy most of the third millennium. But um, um, I just, this story, it's, it's, because have you been to the Isle of Man, Andy? I haven't, no. Yeah, no. I've worked there a fair bit, and it's, right. um, it's its own place, is how I'm going to put it. Yeah. Um, uh, Clarkson has a big house there. Um, they only gave up on birching quite recently, <laughs> um, all that sort of thing. So that there's a horse tram there isn't. A isn't su- a surprise. Isn't a surprise, to be honest. Right. I mean, what else are they rocking over there? Like, is it the iron lung? I mean, I want to see some old <laughs> stuff come back. I want to see the phonograph and the crossbow ballista and the telex. Like... <laughs> well, it's the, the, um, well, what I can tell you is the last time I went there, in the window of one of the hotels or bars along the front in Douglas, there's, there was a great big gollywog-type item in the window. Right. So I don't know. They're dated at best. They, yes, possibly. I mean, I've always had a wonderful time there. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I come not to. I come to praise the Isle of Man, not to bury it. <laughs> but um, uh, it, it, you know, I mean, although I do, uh, there's retro aspects that, like you're saying, Alice. I'm quite, I mean, asbestos. That's had a bad press, hasn't it? Yeah. It's bad in the long term, but in the short term, if your house is burning down. It's all about the negatives in the modern media, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we don't have to go so far back to have some good outcomes. If we stapled phones back to the walls, you'd get fewer wankers texting in ta- traffic. And if we brought back trial by combat, a lot of people on Twitter would pull their f***ing heads in. <laughs> uh, the show I'm touring at the moment is called Let's Go Backwards Together. Yep. Right, And I propose returning to the 50s, but with ABS, power steering, pausable flat screen HDTV. Right, faster hey. overrates in Test cricket. Yeah, well, yeah that, that's right on board. Exactly, with that. exactly. Right on board. Exactly. With that. And the thing is, the thing is, is it, that's the, I called the show that this time last year. Let's go backwards together. And the Tory manifesto last week was forwards together. And you think you fuck us? <laughs> you fuck us? You're ripping me off here. Yeah, well, um, forwards and backwards eventually meet. The, well, this the horseshoe theory of forwards and backwards. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> Um, I'd be in favour of witchcraft trials coming back. Um, yeah. for, for the financial sector, though, because I, I think clearly, you know, white collar crime does not respond to the threat of conventional justice. No. Well, but, conventional you know, justice doesn't seem to carry through for white collar crime anyway. <laughs> that is true. But if they were just going to get chucked in a pond at the first sign of uh, 
misdemeanour, I think you'd, you'd you'd see them filling their so tax returns more accurately. A big pond in the city of London. That that'd be quite a good. Actually, that's that's. That's that's part of the utopia, isn't it? Right, right. there. I'm What's that sure like if you're put... not shorting stock, you sink? Or... <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interestingly the the horse tram was first threatened with closure in January 2016 after making a, a more than a quarter of a million pound loss the previous year. I what mean, are they paying these horses? <laughs> well, exactly. It's one of the first rules of economics. Horse tram services don't grow on trees. <laughs> <laughs> Very hard to turn a big profit off the horse tram. It does suggest, I mean, the Luddites will rise again in their manually operated crank platforms. Um, the uh, and Maybe this is the Isle of Man's attempt to, uh, you know, it's a notoriously dangerous place for high-speed motorcycle racing. They have the TT yeah. races there amongst the most lethal sporting events in the, maybe this, the horse tram shows that they need to slow things down. I think it, it could definitely be. It. I mean, what, what's what's interesting is this, is is it several? It is several horses, and they've all got the same thing. And I right. really do think this is the horses going out. Right. <laughs> Go on, cough <laughs> <laughs> like that. And they've they've been. I mean, this could be just horses swinging the lead. This is why I'm. <laughs> This is why I'm concerned that this is the beginning of Planet of the Horses. Right, because that is a legitimate concern. Now. Yeah, why, well, why not? Yeah. I mean, yeah. the last time I had a respiratory illness, I was a little horse. <laughs> oh, oh, yes! yes. <laughs> that pun is 10,000 miles away from us, <laughs> but I can still smell it. <laughs> um. <laughs> God, it seems almost not worth going on with the rest of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. Um, uh, latest fitness bulletins coming through not just re- respiratory issues from the uh, the Bay Horse Tramway Horse Squad Rosie the Horse uh, tweaked a fetlock yesterday trying to outrun a bus prove that the uh, the, ho- the, uh, the tram service uh, can still cut it in the modern world Petula the Horse indigestion from overgrazing in between uh, shifts they're very much overworked these tram horses I mean it's fine if you're Thomas the Tank Engine now, if memory but... serves you do an impression of a horse uh, don't you <laughs> Don't, I, don't, I don't think I did an impression. Did I not just interview a horse, Al? I think you interviewed a horse. That's yeah, right. Yes, well, you inter- sorry, you didn't know. Yeah. Yes, you interviewed a horse. Yeah, yeah I'm, I stand corrected. Yeah, um, I'll see <laughs> if I can get one on for for next week's show. <laughs> Was that on your show? He did that because I think he's done that on the Bugle as well. He did it on. My, he definitely did it on my show. We definitely had quite a long interview with the horse. Right. Um, the horse had lots to say as well. Um, uh, <laughs> um, uh, it was like the horse was in the room with us. Yeah. For some of it. Well, I'm, I'm a very searching interviewer on the. Uh, can I finish my fitness bulletin? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Absolutely crucial for uh, people betting on the uh, the horse the uh, horse tram races this weekend. Buster the horse done his back during rush hour when uh, they ended up with fifty commuters sitting on him. Um, <laughs> champ the horse he could be out of tramming for a month after electrocuting his mouth on the overhead cables uh, when on an exchange scheme with a tram from San Francisco. Uh, it didn't work out either way. Uh, the, uh, uh, an Isle of Man horse tried to breed with the San Francisco tram and ended up with a metal pommel horse, which is uh, absolutely no use in gym. Are there any fancy trams in Melbourne, Alice? Am I right in thinking there's a dinner tram? Yes, there is a dinner tram for when you want to uh, simultaneously have a romantic meal and go round corners really fast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that narrows it down a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> it's a very specific that, audience of yeah. tourist that's... chumps. Let's move on now to a Brazil section and a um, sensational Brazilian justice uh, story breaking this week. A woman who stole an Easter egg and a chicken breast 
has received a harsher jail sentence than people involved in a, essentially a multi-billion dollar corruption scandal. Um, which I think tells you a lot about the way Brazilian justice works. I mean, I guess the problem for... Uh, she got sentenced to, what, three years in jail. And um, the problem is, particularly with political corruption in Brazil, if you jailed every corrupt politician in Brazil, well, you, you would end up with, well, a, a woman who just stolen an Easter egg as president, probably. So certain caps have to be put on it. Um, while we were off air during the uh, hiatus last year, Dilma Rousseff, the former president, was... Uh, was it impeached? And um, uh, at that point, 352 out of 594 members of the Brazilian Senate were facing criminal accusations. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> that, is, that is, I mean, that's impressive logistics. I mean, it's good yeah. to be able to multitask as a politician. That is impressive. I think it's all about incentives. Like, we don't want petty crime. We want big, giant, white-collar crime. If she didn't want to go to jail for three years, she should have defrauded millions of dollars from the tax-paying proletariat instead of being one. Well, exactly. I mean, there, there was reasons given in the debate in which Rousseff was impeached. Uh, this was from the parliamentary debate uh, in which her fellow politicians gave reasons why they wanted to impeach her, uh, ranging from uh, for the foundations of Christianity, yep. for all Brazilian doctors, for the sake of the BR-429, which is an interstate highway, <laughs> for, quote, my unborn daughter Manuela, that was a reason for impeaching the president for my 93-year-old mother, who's at home, for my beloved military police of Sao Paulo. I mean, I've not heard military police described as beloved before. That's a, that's a world first yes. right there. Uh, for the truckers, um, someone who may have just misheard the question, and for the, <laughs> for the birthday of my granddaughter. I mean, what kind of present is that to give to a grandchild? Oh, what, what have you got me? What have you got me, Grant? Uh, impeachment. I've got love right. you impeachment. I wanted a f***ing train set or a bicycle. Thing is, I'm quite happy with this woman going to jail. It's, this is someone sticking up for Easter. <laughs> a couple of months ago, we saw Easter under relentless assault by uh, the forces of people who don't like Easter. Political right. correctness gone mad, etc. So someone going to prison for stealing an Easter egg. It's the Easter fight back starting right now. I'm, 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 I'm. A hundred percent behind this, right? So I get. I mean, I guess Brazil is a, is famously a very Catholic country. Yeah, and they're just they're just digging in for Easter. Someone finally sticking up for Easter. So yeah, two bring months back, of... bring back the real meaning of Easter, which is Prison. murdering a <laughs> Jewish rabbi. Yeah, absolutely. Bring, yeah, <laughs> was he a rabbi? Jesus. Yeah, he's he become was. a default rab- was he's he's a trainee rabbi. Was he rabbi? Wasn't he? Yeah. He's one yeah. of the he cool carpenter. young rabbis, man. He right. got dreadlocks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but of course, I mean, in a Catholic country, stealing an Easter egg is, they do believe it is physically stealing the actual physical testicle of Christ. Yeah. Rather than the metaphorical yeah. testicle of Christ that it would be in, a, in, a, in yeah. an Anglican country. Yeah. So that's, yeah. I guess, the big difference. Yeah. Tranball substantiation, <laughs> or whatever it's called. I couldn't actually pun that. I just tried to insert a word and failed. <laughs> You're asking too much of me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think Easter eggs is is good. That Easter's sacred, man. Yep. You know, only only two months ago, Theresa May deliberately misunderstood some uh, publicity material to make a point about Easter. So I think you know this is this, but this is good. So the fight back starts here. Right. What was yeah. the, what was what was the Theresa May? You remember the Cadbury's the Cadbury's Easter egg uh, hunt. You've, you've, oh you have, yes. You have to take take the word yeah. hunt as far away from egg. The Cadbury's <laughs> Easter egg hunt. <laughs> and um, that the, the, she said they've taken the word Easter off the publicity yeah. and they, uh, with the National Trust, and they hadn't. Right. They hadn't done that, and she'd been 
she was just sort of on manoeuvres, you know, like for <laughs> traditional values or whatever, um, as far as I can work out. And it, and it caused one of those sort of, one of those sort of, uh, our way of life is under attack um, type uh, reactions. When it f***ing isn't. <laughs> it f***ing isn't. Right. I mean, it's this thing, you know, like Christmas. This makes me so angry when people go on about Christmas. Oh, Christmas is under attack. Well, that, is that why Christmas has swollen up in reaction <laughs> to August? Like as a sort of anaphylactic shock <laughs> reaction. Like Christmas has swollen to the, to, you know, I'm quite happy for the Christmas to really start with Advent in December. Right. I'm quite happy with that. Right, that's fine. Right, but for it to be, stuff to be in the shops in August. How can you possibly argue that Christmas is under threat? Right. It's obviously, it's, it's like, it is, it's like it's swollen up in reaction to, and eventually it'll be Christmas all f***ing year in order for Christmas to defend itself. <laughs> it's a f***ing madness. It makes me really angry, this. Uh, evidently. But God! The, the song, I wish it could be Christmas every day. Well, of course, it's economically illiterate. I mean, it would be total chaos. It's utter chaos. Because there'd be, cause if everyone's off work, who's making their presents? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean it's always, the economics of this ideal, I mean, yeah. it's, it's like Christmas every day would be my again, nightmare. <laughs> would it be a nightmare for you, Alice? Oh, yeah. Oh, I hate Christmas. I, first of all, I hate fun. And second of all, like, how many drunken aunts can you take out of the bushes? Like, <laughs> Another very interesting philosophical question. <laughs> <laughs> um, but wh- who, who sang that? I wish it could be Christmas every yep. day. That's uh, yes. Roy Wood always. Roy Wood. Roy, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's right. Wizard, isn't it? Roy Wood. Isn't yeah. that and, like um, the bad thing about Narnia at the beginning? No, it's never Christmas. Never mind. Retracted. <laughs> <laughs> but s- s- <laughs> it's interesting that since that song was released in what must have been the mid 1970s, yeah. Christmas has expanded. Yeah, it's gradually rapidly. expanded. Does this make this the most influential song ever written? I think possibly in a thousand years' time. Right. We'll look back. They'll look back and go, "Yep, that's it. That's the, the, the key moment." Economic and social naivety. <laughs> the Nostradamus of capitalism. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We've got to stop being so idealistic as a species. <laughs> um, Alice, there was another um, Brazilian story that, that, that you found about a, an enormous piece of bling. Yeah, miners found a 1.3 metre tall emerald weighing more than 270 kilograms in Brazil's northeastern state of Bahia. I don't know how that's pronounced. It was about 20 days ago. They were miners of the Bahia Mineral Cooperative. Uh, which is the most effective cooperative I've ever heard of. If it's anything like the university housing co-op that used to meet in a cafe near my house, uh, <laughs> it would probably never have uh, got past the debating phase of getting that <laughs> thing out of the ground. But I'm, I, I'm against it, really. I'm against uh, that big an emerald existing. I mean, what are the risks of RSI to someone wearing a ring with something that big on it? The wrist strength alone would require the wearer to be, if not a giant, <laughs> at least a giant wanker. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not the most romantic gift, is it? A a um, two hundred and seventy kilogram jewel. You can only use it for one thing, which is beaming a laser through it to blow up the moon. <laughs> that's what an emerald. <laughs> that's what an emerald that big is for. That's why I got you on the show, Al, to bring that level of scientific expertise. The perfect <laughs> gift for Blofeld. Exactly. This is a Bond plot um, <laughs> jewel, isn't it? I, what I love about um, massive diamonds and things, or massive bits of jewelry, is that, or what, precious stones, or whatever, is how they value them because it's it's worthless. A great big emerald is is worthless essentially, isn't it? You can't use it for anything. It's, I mean, what can you do with it? Yeah. So what they do is go, yeah, three hundred million. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely three hundred million. Yeah, 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 definitely three hundred million. Yeah. 
And you've got to go along with that or the, or the whole of the economic, world economic system collapses, yeah. doesn't it? Because all valuations are essentially based on that, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give the secrets away. The whole thing will collapse. <laughs> exactly. It's teetering on a knife edge as but it, it is. Yeah, out. it's for firing. It's for beaming a laser through right. and exploding the moon. I mean, Alice, you mentioned it wouldn't work as a ring. I think it's a necklace as well. That's, I mean, that is too heavy, you know. I've got, I I've think got it's this too heavy for, with... for anything. Yeah. I've got, I've got this lovely necklace, darling. Oh, okay. Ow. I think I put my back out. It's like having two Samoan rugby players around my neck. Oh, shit, I've gotten the wrong way around. Oh, sorry. Vatasalaiva, Vatasalaiva. Could you just unclasp yourself and pop down, thanks? I wonder how Emerald is getting on as two crash ball centres. It's <laughs> a little rugby joke for you. Not, not enough that rugby and jewellery get uh, get put together in the same the same joke. No, me. no, yeah. another world first. Yep. I'm certainly glad you tackled that topic. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, don't don't apologise, Alice. Don't apologise. <laughs> be, be proud. It's it's an affliction that that we are very open about on this show. The the predilection to pun. We don't judge people. In fact, we, we praise people for it. Um, also in Brazil, a 16-year-old footballer has just been sold for £40 million. Pounds. Uh, Vin- don't tell him. <laughs> That's the key. Just don't. 16-year-old boys are f***ing arseholes. <laughs> right? The last thing you need to tell a 16-year-old boy is, hey, you're worth £40 million. Because the sheer arsehole that that will deliver. Right, yeah. And then when he turns 19 and becomes a prick... <laughs> Right. dance as old as time itself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you mustn't... That information needs to be kept from him. Right. Uh, he's known as Vinicius Junior. Well, it does sound quite like a Roman, old Roman emperor. Old Vinicius Junior. Um, now, I mean, it is getting ridiculous, football transfer fees, and younger and younger. We've previously reported on the Bugle on how top clubs have bid in the region of uh, £5.4 billion pounds for one of Cristiano Ronaldo's testicles. Whilst uh, Lionel Messi has been offered twice that sum to have gender reassignment therapy in order to mother a joint Messi-Ronaldo super football baby. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Real Madrid and Chelsea are now in bidding wars for the DNA of some of the top uh, footballers from from history. Uh, Primo Sclazzatini, the agent for uh, Diego Maradona's DNA, has been hawking around the vial of the 1986 Argentinian World Cup winning genius's flob, scraped from the pitch during a match between Napoli and Juventus in 1987 when Maradona um, spat in frustration at not being given a penalty. Uh, that vial of uh, Maradona flop going for uh, £150 million um, uh, on, the, on, on the market right now. So I mean, it is getting absurd, frankly. I mean, even the made-up ones are getting out of control. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous of this kid. When I was 16, I was, I don't know, busy reading bad fantasy novels in the library at lunchtime and being bullied, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> What were you doing when you were 16, Andy? I was mostly looking up cricket statistics. I've not <laughs> changed a lot over the years, to be honest. I had a pretty glamorous teenage. I was sitting in my sitting in my bedroom looking up batting averages of players who died decades before I was born. And that's why I was such an you know, unstoppable teenage hunk. This is the stuff that isn't made up in the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry, I <laughs> accidentally shared a fact. <laughs> But the transfer's not going through right away. It's going through when he turns 18, right, in J- July 2018. Yep. And, I mean, that's great if in that time he doesn't get a girlfriend or find out that there's something else to life outside kicking a ball around in a square. <laughs> Don't say that. 
He don't could say get this into is a sport worshipping show, Alice. You can't he, say that. You could get into Breaking Bad or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know. There's all sorts of temptations out there, aren't there? Yeah. What if, though, when he turns 18, he turns out to be a bit shit? Well, that has happened in football history before. But really? I guess. And then, what, then what then happens? I guess to they, those tried, they then compress him uh, using <laughs> geological forces, try and make him into a large emerald and then <laughs> <laughs> flog him off. I mean, I think that's basically where this giant emerald came from, from crushed, <laughs> disappointing footballers. teenage footballers. So that's what uh, Brazil is selling, emeralds, 16-year-olds and white-collar crime? <laughs> yep, that's it. Flamingo news now. <laughs> oh, God, I've been waiting all my life to hear those words. <laughs> well, scientists have confirmed that flamingos expend less energy standing on one leg than in a two-legged stance. Uh, well done, science! Which, I don't know, it just confirms my beliefs about flamingos. I've always been against the flamingo as an animal. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm very pleased to find out that not only are they smug, flashy, pink, flying swamp horses, they're also lazy, flashy, pink, flying swamp horses with spindly legs and a bad attitude. <laughs> Cerise wankers with judgmental eyes, that's what they are. <laughs> Also, uh, that was a line in the, the Labour Party manifesto about, about the Conservatives. I, well, I just like how very specific the scientists have got on it. Uh, there's a Dr. Matthew Anderson, who's an experimental psychologist who specialises in animal behaviour, uh, and he described the team's results as a significant step forward. But he said, they begin to answer the question of how flamingos are able to rest on one leg. Importantly, these authors do not examine when and where flamingos actually utilise the behaviour in question, and thus this paper does not really address the issue of why flamingos rest while on one leg. Uh, I mean, I know the answer. It's because they're rosy, self-satisfied wanker birds with their tiny heads up their own butts through the power of their <laughs> stupid long necks. Why are you... You're, I mean, you're the most virulently anti-flamingo person I've ever come across, Alice. Yeah. This is... I mean, was there some kind of ch childhood trauma in which you were attacked by, by, by flamingos? I just had a recurring nightmare about flamingos, maybe. Right. We need to analyse this. Uh, Al, you, you're a professional, um, professional uh, psychoanalyst, aren't you? Well, I, yeah, yeah. I Someone mean, who has a recurring dream about flam being attacked by flamingos? Well, I think um, they don't like flamingos. Okay, there we go. <laughs> That's what I'm going with. Um, I, the thing with these stories, I just think, why does everything have to have a scientific reason? Right. Buy out science. Right. Stop explaining everything. Well, God, yep. can't can't flamingos just do what they want without some <laughs> scientist going? Oh, I reckon I know why you're doing that. No, shut up, science. Well, I can see this being exploited by the government because yeah. you know they've already said they're going to stop children <laughs> having school lunches on the grounds that a hungry child is a happy child. Um, but you know maybe they they can use this science as proof that children do not need feeding. If only they stood on Do one leg. leg instead of two, they will use up less energy. And we can save millions of pounds for the exchequer to spend on, uh, on more, more... You belong weapons. in a think tank. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Is that a compliment or an insult? It's <laughs> 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 um, a lesson for the world. Motorbikes consume way less fuel when you're doing a wheelie. And uh, unicycling is technically the most efficient form of transport for the entire world. That's and what Jake was... the Peg was yep. uh, enormously over-efficient in energy. <laughs> That's right. Uh, brings us towards the end of the bugle. We'd, we'd have a, actually a bumper crop of emails this week, but we have, uh, as ever, overrun <laughs> slightly. Um, and uh, f thank you for a couple of factual errors picked up on from last week. Uh, the artist Basquiat, not French, as I erroneously uh, stated, but a Haitian-born New Yorker, as I pointed out by several people. 
um, including Diana Madden from uh, California, who says, that error is making me question all your cricket assertions. <laughs> don't, don't, don't start doing that. Um, and also, uh, <laughs> people who pointed out that uh, the area of the, the cat swing, as defined last week as two pi brackets cat plus r, that would only give the circumference, or kitty circ, as John in Pimlico <laughs> says. And actually what I wanted was pi brackets cat plus r squared. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was basic mathematics, and I apologise wholeheartedly. Um, so, <laughs> Do you welcome this kind of uh, criticism, Andy, or are you well, anti-semantic? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Gee, jeeps. That, well, that's good, Alice. That is very good. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> um, uh, with the Bugle, we do proud pride ourselves on uh, on uh, rigorously fact checking um, everything. Uh, oh, oh the, John from Pimlico points out that uh, pi brackets cat plus r squared um, contains the apparently prophetic prediction of a future World Cup. Uh, two cat r plus r r uh, <laughs> equals two cat r ha ha, as in. I mean, I've been outpunned by, I think, four people on the show today. This is a fucking disaster. <laughs> I'm going to have to wrap it up. Thank you very much for listening, Buglers. Alice is coming to Britain uh, in the summer. We'll be performing throughout the Edinburgh Festival. Um, Al, you got anything you want to plug to our listeners? Um, uh, well, I've got a couple more weeks of tour left. But You geez, sound really geez, enthusiastic geez, about it. <laughs> if they could not come, I could have the night off. <laughs> so can, we, can we do a reverse plug on that? Another guest fitting into the bugle history of rampant self-promotion. Um, another Nostradamus quote to leave you with. A most stupendous and astonishing event will occur. Very soon afterwards, the earth will tremble. Can only possibly be referring to my forthcoming political animal gigs at Soho on the 29th of May and the 3rd of June. And uh, my satires for high gig at the underbelly on the 23rd of, uh, of June. I mean, clearly that's, you know, the world's going to tremble and a stupendous and astonishing events will occur. No doubt. Yeah, can't argue with that. Thank you for listening, Buglers. Al, it's been a delight having you on uh, for the first time. Do it come has back. been a delight Thank having you. me on. Yeah. Um, Alice, thanks once again for your uh, glorious contribution from the Southern Hemisphere. Buglers, I will be back next week with Bugle Live from Soho featuring Nish Kumar. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.